Uh, whenever I approach the end of a sermon series, I get asked often, what's next? And so no different, especially after an almost two-year journey walking through the Gospel of Mark. And usually I have a few thoughts in the course of especially a longer series like that of what might be next and, and maybe even um, some certainty of what's coming next. And not this time. My process is to continue to search the scriptures, to pray, and to practice the discipline of waiting. Easier said than done. In many different ways over, over the course of year, the years, I believe the Spirit confirms or brings a sense of, of peace or clarity. And I could talk about a number of those different ways that I'm coming to learn the sensing of the leading of the Spirit. Maybe you could share similar things. To say it in a far too elementary way, the Spirit shows up at just the right time. Sometimes, though, and that's months in advance of the conclusion of a series, and sometimes it's just a few weeks. Coming to the end of Mark's gospel, I, the Spirit wasn't showing up. My perspective, that's my perspective, my experience. I had many ideas and thoughts and in fact, a leading, and I believe still probably a leading, to preach a series on the church as family, but no sense of, of peace or clarity on the timing of that. So waiting upon that confirmation. And, and I've been praying and pondering on what's next for a number of months now, and even in the extended time we had away in July, I, in my head, that was a great time to step away, to reflect, and to, to receive the Spirit's clarity on, on leading for, for us. This is for us, not for me. This is for us. Leading, of where, where the Spirit would lead us uh, to be in His Word and to be walking together. So what, what do you do when you're uncertain what's next? Can, it, can anyone relate to that? <laughs> maybe you're there right now. Uh, maybe you're feeling stuck, however you would describe it, or stagnant. Um, maybe worse, maybe you're feeling a sense of spiraling, uncertain what to do, to fix that sense of unease or, or, or uncertainty or disequilibrium. Perhaps you're in a place where you need to make a decision, and that's, that date of, is coming where that decision needs to be made, and it's the kind of decision that could have impact or consequence to the next number of years, potentially. Some of us might be in that kind of a place, a waiting place, not knowing what's, what's best, what's right, our whole, our whole world seems to be mired in uncertainty and in wondering and maybe a sense of waiting of what could possibly be next. Or maybe many hesitant to even turn on the news in the morning. And that seems to be the reality that many of us collectively find ourselves in, being unsettled and uncertain. So what do you do with that kind of lack of clarity or potential trepidation? I believe it's simple but not easy. Search the scriptures, pray, and practice the discipline of waiting upon the Holy Spirit. It's not an exhaustive list to be sure, but those need to be a part of the recipe. Certainly being in community with one another and seeking counsel from others is, is, is a part of that recipe. 
perhaps now you know the reason, or at least one of the reasons, for the bonus messages in Mark the last couple of weeks, the alternate endings of, of Mark. I didn't have full clarity of what was coming next, and I didn't feel released from Mark either, so that's the reason for those last couple messages. But I went home last Sunday knowing there would be no more messages from Mark, and I, I can probably count on one hand in 12 years where I don't know, at least generally, what I will be preaching on the next Sunday. And that's just my regular rhythm. Now, many times in those years, that's been redirected. My thoughts going into a Sunday afternoon or a Monday morning of what would be coming has changed totally. But coming home from a Sunday, especially at the conclusion of a a series, and not knowing what was next for me, is a little bit uncertain, unsettling, a little bit of anxiety, uh, but also some excitement is in that, because I believe in the power of the Spirit. I believe in the leading of the Spirit. I believe in His presence. I believe He is good. I believe He speaks and makes known the will of God in various ways, and that's part of the journey of faith and walking with Him. Therefore, I, I don't believe the Spirit teases or manipulates. He's not playing games. And so if there's a sense of uncertainty of his leading while walking in the, in the discipline of searching the scriptures of prayer and of practicing that discipline of waiting upon him, when that leads to an experience of silence or uncertainty, I know it's just not his timing. And so there's an excitement of that uh, in in the midst of probably some toggling with anxiety. And, and maybe, well, this is related to something not all that consequential on one hand. What kind of series or message or, or book of the Bible could we study next? All could, be, all could be good. There's many choices. On the other hand, if the Spirit is going to lead His people in a crucial time, This is extremely significant. Now, maybe you can parallel this with something that you're wrestling with, again, with an unsettledness, uncertainty of what's next or a decision that you're being invited to make but are uncertain what's best. So I I was able to carve out just a quick moment on Sunday afternoon, which is not my traditional um, method, but to pause, to pray. I opened again to the where I'm opened here, the end of Mark and Luke, and pondered the white space on the page. Rather than looking at the letters, the white space on the page, and maybe maybe whatever you're walking through, that's what that feels like to you. There's a lot of blank space. Would it be filled? There's a transition. It's a, it's a liminal-type moment. And so with Bible open, praying, Spirit, what's next? Praying the commitment of the discipline of waiting, I will wait upon you. I'm committed to search the scriptures to find the presence of Jesus and the voice of Jesus on every page, but I will wait to hear your voice and your leading. And in that moment, I feel like there was an incredible sense of peace, no anxiety, no clear answer of what was next, but just a sense of peace. Maybe you've experienced that too. To me, that's one of the greatest confirmations that the Spirit is with you, the sense of peace, even when there really shouldn't be. And you may not have a clarity, but that presence is just vital for us. 
And, and whenever I get to walk in counsel, when others are seeking my counsel on direction or a decision or a course, it's much less is the counsel being given, but seek the presence of the Spirit. Where do you have peace? And oftentimes, it's the decision is already known, but it's the one that seems least likely, the one that's being, that is fuzziest or they're wrestling with most, that doesn't make sense, but has the most peace about it. That is the course of, of the way that the Spirit leads. So in that moment, feeling the sense of, this is Sunday afternoon, the sense of, I, I believe, the Spirit's presence of His peace, He is going to bring clarity at, at, in His timing. So it really felt like a liminal moment, a transition-type moment. And what happened next? My kids came running into the room, laughing and screeching with our dog Zoe trailing behind them, wanting to play which is more of our normal Sunday afternoon rhythm. Beautiful day last Sunday. And so what do you do in the midst of uncertainty, seeking the Spirit, looking for clarity, and then life happens? The Spirit is in it all. And I, I sensed, as I worked quickly through my frustration of interruption, I sensed the Spirit say, in God's sense of humor, I'll wait for you. I'll be here. A sense of a smile on his face. The Spirit was in no hurry. It wasn't until Monday morning where I got to enter back into that place, both physically and spiritually, just the way the course of the day went. So Catherine's up early these days. She's out of the house, and kids are still asleep. I've got a cup of coffee. The sun was shining Monday morning. By the way, those, those are good recipes for hearing from the Spirit. But entering back into that place of Scripture's open, the discipline of prayer, and the commitment to wait upon the Spirit. I sensed again that, that peace, no anxiety. One day closer to a coming Sunday, but no anxiety. And so I received that, and I thanked God for his presence. I almost forgot, as I'm a little uncertain how much time passed in that moment of prayer, but I almost forgot to ask that question so what's next? On behalf of, of your people, this community, what's next? I did get there. Do you have, do you have a, a leading or a voice or a word uh, for me, Lord, Spirit? And I didn't hear an audible voice. There's only a couple times in my life where I, I've wondered if there was an audible voice. Perhaps you've, you've sensed the voice of God at, in unique times, in unique ways. Perhaps you have never sensed there was an audible voice. It does not need to be. God's spirit is within us if we've received him and we commune with him on a spiritual level. I, I was certain what the spirit was saying when I, answered, when I asked him, what is next for us? For this, for you. Maybe you're here just one day, but for, for you, for this community, you're part of this broader family. The spirit was saying, what's next is me. My people need me. And in my prayer response, God, Spirit, the whole world needs you. It, is, it, is, it must be desperate for you. How could we not see that and sense that? And gently, the rebuke, the yes, yes, but I'm speaking to you, Ben, and on behalf of the Union Hill Church community, 
You need me. The church needs me. The presence of the Spirit. He says, invite them, call them to me. Yes, to search the Scriptures. Never give up. Searching the Scriptures. To pray together. But to wait upon the Spirit. To practice that discipline. And to do this together. And I said, that's not a sermon series. <laughs> that's right. That's discipleship. That is following in the ways of Jesus. This is what God's people have always been invited to. This, this is not novel, but it's essential. It's our history. Will it be our present reality? What's next? It's what has always been. We must search the scriptures, never give up. We must continue to learn to pray. That's a lifetime journey. But we must wait upon the Spirit for his presence, his voice, his leading, his filling, his empowering. And we must do this together. So if this isn't novel, if it's what his people have always been called to, then have we neglected this? Have we been distracted or divided? Have we become complacent? Are we discouraged? Perhaps all of the above. I'm open to that. Rather than excuses or explanation, if we consider these years, wherever you want to put that, the beginning or end of that, if you want to start in a pandemic or if you want to go back decades, these years, there's a lot of explanations why God's people, but let's make it us, have not truly learned to pray or to wait upon the Spirit. But rather than make them excuses, let's come with confession and repentance, the invitation always from an almighty, holy God. Come, speak the truth. That's confession. The truth as you know it, as you are able and repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repentance is a gift. It's a turning. It's recognizing a trajectory, a path, a way that we are living or are on or are being swelled up to in a crowd of the world. The ability to say, that's not the path that leads to life. I know it. I must turn. I must repent. I must return. So it's a gift. Let's come with conf confession and repentance, with devotion and with desire. So a number of you have asked, what's next? Referring to the sermon series. But I, ironically, and I don't, miss, I don't miss it here, the way that Mark ends, I believe in verse 8 of Mark 16, demands that we ask, what's next? What happens next? What happens next in the story? So we must search the scriptures. Not only for the answer, but for our own souls. It's not only what did happen next for God's people, the first followers of Jesus, but what must happen next for all disciples. Always. For all of us. The kingdom of God has come. 
in Jesus and through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And we are beckoned into that story. Come, follow me. That's an invitation for all who hear. Come, follow me. And that's what Mark was asking us almost on every page. Who will we be? Will we see and hear and respond and believe? Or will we doubt and distrust and dismiss or even resist? Come into the kingdom. Find your life, true life, eternal life in Christ, the one who lives. Begin today. Begin again today. It's an always, forever. So this is our history. Will we make it our reality? However long that takes. Looking at the story, we're reminded where the disciples are at this moment when we ask the question, what happened next? The way that Mark ends so abruptly the way he tells us, which I think with the final line of Mark 16, verse 8, even after the angel announces that Jesus has risen to these few women that have gathered at the tomb, they were trembling and bewildered. They went out. They fled. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Where were the disciples? They were scattered they had fled. These women were the most faithful, but they were still following at a distance, uncertain, coming to the tomb with spices to honor their dead friend, to cover the stench of death, perhaps to sense to cover their own guilt for not being present, for not being faithful. And yet, even with the announcement of the greatest news of all history, he is not here, he has risen. They're bewildered, they're unsettled. They're fearful, and they flee. The rest of the disciples, Peter and the rest, where are they? And the, what about the hundreds and even thousands that had followed Jesus for those few years? Where are they? They're divided. Judas had betrayed. Peter had denied. They're doubting. No one was believing in the resurrection. No one had an expectation, even though Jesus had repeatedly declared it would come. They clearly had more questions than answers. What was it all for? What did it all mean? What would happen to us? After all, they killed Jesus. They were likely downcast and discouraged, believing that the Messiah was going to come and bring deliverance. And now he's, his lifeless body is laying in a tomb, Joseph's tomb. We know it. We saw it. Do we have more faith than these? Or in our own way, 2,000 years later, are we divided, doubting, downcast, and discouraged? I think that's a right question for the American church, for the collective, capital C church. But that's not our responsibility. That's not my responsibility. They are brothers and they are sisters. They are the Lord's. Our responsibility is us, is Union Hill Church, is this gathering of followers. And if there has been division or distraction or discouragement, 
complacency, if we have forgotten or have not waited upon the Spirit, then perhaps in a strange way it's a good thing. Because what happened next in the story? Jesus showed up. Jesus began to pursue them, appear to them, meet with them, show himself, build up their faith, renew their hope, point them to the whole of scriptures that he said taught about him, and call them to wait upon the coming of the Holy Spirit. Mark doesn't tell the end of that story, but Luke does. So on Monday, as I was in that place and see the blank space to Luke and did ask the question, am I supposed to catch this right, continue into Luke? But he led me to the end, to that final story. More to the story. It wasn't just, it wasn't the end of the story, it was maybe just the beginning where he appears to them, pursues them, and meets with them. Luke 24 and then went into Acts 1 and 2. What happened in those next, those next days, those next few weeks? And for us, I would like us to walk that story again. We've walked it in some ways at different times. I'm inviting us to immerse ourselves in that story. Luke 24 and Acts 1 and 2 in these coming days and these coming weeks. That we would search the scriptures in that way. That we would commit ourselves to prayer and to waiting upon the Holy Spirit. See, this isn't meant to just be our history, though we celebrate that and recognize these, these events as historical, but it's meant to be our reality. It's meant to be what always happens for the followers of Jesus as they come to know him, grow in their faith, walk the journey of having almost everything shattered beneath our feet, with doubts, with uncertainty, with fear, with wondering, with more questions than answers. Will we remain faithful? Will we continue in prayer and the discipline of waiting upon the Spirit? Notice the title, What Happens Next, of this Not Sermon series. It doesn't have a question mark on it. It's a period. What happens next? This is a declaration. What happens next for God's people who pursue him as he pursues us? In the midst of our uncertainty, Jesus, show up. Meet us. In the midst of our wondering or our grieving or our fear or our pain or our doubt, when we don't know what tomorrow holds, Jesus, meet us. Pursue us, forgive us, restore us, unify us, clarify our call and empower us as you did once, do it again. After appearing to his disciples and communing with them and teaching them for 40 days, Jesus ascended to heaven. He told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. They've been commissioned to pro proclaim the message of his life, death, and resurrection to all nations. But he told them to wait. 
where they were for the coming of the promised spirit. Luke 24, 49. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Ten days later at the Feast of Pentecost, the Spirit fell upon them and filled them, empowering them to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to all nations. Pentecost does not need to happen again. That is our history. That's the birth of the church and the power of the Spirit. Yet, a fresh filling of the Spirit must always happen for the church. That is our reality. It feels like the American church is at a critical moment between our past and our future. But we're not responsible for the American church. We're responsible for Union Hill Church. We, not me, not the elders, we are responsible. And I believe we're in a place between our past and our future, a liminal moment. What must we do? What did those first followers do in the midst of their uncertainty, trepidation, fear, and yet growing expectation and hope in the promises of Jesus of what was to come? They waited. They waited as he said they must. They were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit trying to believe that he would come and change everything, not knowing what that would be like, not walking through those experiences yet. Would he fill them, be with them, empower them, send them, give them boldness and clarity for the coming days and weeks? But when would he come? What would it be like? How could they know? What must they do in the meantime? So anticipation and expectation, but wondering and uncertainty and a whole lot of questions. But they were together. They were together. And I believe that's what God is inviting us in his spirit in this time. And I don't have a time frame on that. But I believe he's inviting us to renew our commitment to wait upon him. to continue to learn to pray, to never stop searching the scriptures for the promises of God that, as Paul says, all find their yes in Jesus. They believed it. That we would do the same, that we would sense we are in a liminal moment, a transitional time that the Spirit is preparing for us. You know, it's been a refrain for the church throughout the ages, to pray, to sing, to declare, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. They've waited upon the return of their Lord. The church has also prayed throughout the ages, Holy Spirit, come. Some have tried to recreate Pentecost. That's not what we're invited to. We are invited to wait upon the filling and the power of the Spirit, day by day to be renewed by his presence, to have anticipation for it and expectation that this is our God. 
but no agenda. We do not get to say what that looks like. We do not get to script it. We do not get to determine the time frame of it, which I'm not standing here saying this is a four-part series, and by the end of it, the Spirit will descend in power for us. It may be this moment. It may be today where we experience a manifestation of the Spirit. It may be days. It may be years. We may be living in a time, as has been repeated throughout history, where the sense of the presence and power of the Spirit is not what it once was nor should be. And the church has prayed through those seasons of seeming darkness and uncertainty, sometimes lasting decades or centuries, sometimes in stories of specific places at specific times. We have the Spirit of God. Pentecost has happened. He is with us. He indwells within us. He does not need to come again. We need to learn to yield ourselves to more of the Spirit, to walk by faith, to invite him to make himself known for his glory and for our joy, and to wait upon him, to practice the discipline of waiting. That may be the hardest thing. I think we've been fairly faithful at searching the Scriptures You know that's my joy and my commitment on your behalf. I receive, but I get to give. For 12 years, hundreds of messages I've been able to preach, representing thousands of hours of study, of prayer, of meditation in the Scripture. Your generosity has allowed me to do that. Many of you have done that along with me. I think we've, been, we've done a good job. We will never stop searching the scriptures for the promises of God that our hope would be renewed again today. My concern is we haven't given the same attention to prayer and to waiting upon the Spirit. And for where that is true, I will confess I'm invited to repent, and I'm inviting you to do the same if you resonate with that at all, either in your individual journey or recognizing that corporately. And maybe the hardest thing is waiting upon the Holy Spirit. So I don't really know what's coming next. I have a general idea. It may be this same message again next week and the week after and the week after. This is not a sermon series. This is discipleship. And I believe we're in a season where if we are not desperate for the Holy Spirit to come upon us in his power, What will it take? Do we want to ask that question? Do we want to pray that? Or do we want to pray, Holy Spirit, come? We will wait upon you. Give us your holy anticipation and expectation without an agenda, without our agenda. I'm just calling us to do what the church throughout the ages has done. 
are not going to over-spiritualize or emotionalize this, but we are going to be a people who, when we come together, are going to create space to pray and to wait upon the Holy Spirit. That it should mean something to gather together in this place. Praise God for the technology, for you guys joining with us online, for those that do faithfully, for the ability to do that when we travel, to stay connected. But the church assembles. The church gathers. And when we gather in this place, I have a committed effort in these days ahead to make prayer, to make the table central, to search the scriptures together, and to wait upon the Holy Spirit. And I invite you to do the same in this season. I invite you to, throughout your week, to commit yourselves to the searching of Scripture, to prayer, to the waiting of the Spirit. It's okay if you don't know how to do that. I believe the Spirit will meet you in that place with sincere heart and sincere desire. Whether you don't know practically how to do that or you don't know how to make space for that, to be still and to know that he is God. If you're not regularly reading the scriptures, I just invite you to read through this story. Luke 24, Acts 1 and 2. Put it on loop or repeat. Use a version app or another app that will read it to you. If you're on a commute or if it's hard to carve out that space, hear it. Listen, receive the story, embrace it. I invite you to pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day. It's a discipline I did all of last year, every day in my walking and, and praying, was to take the Lord's Prayer, to pray it, and to pray with my own words in it or my own heart in it. That's what I think we're invited to in the Lord's Prayer. It's to use that as a frame and a guide. And then to express our heart more fully through it as we are led. Some days it's simply the Lord's Prayer. Other days it extends for up to an hour, perhaps, of just pouring through. And would you wait upon the Spirit, not knowing what that may look like or what that may be, but wait upon the Holy Spirit. Pray with a, a devotion and a desperation that God would make himself known to us. And then when we gather, would we do this together in the moments that we have together? May we have a renewed expectation and hope. May our soul and central desire be to know the presence of God through his spirit, to be with him as he is with us, as if there's nothing else. Would the spirit fall upon us in his way for his glory, for our joy. His presence is worth the wait. You know, it's a good thing that there's just a few of us here. This seems to be what God does. He takes a few. Maybe the least likely ones. The ones when you look around and say, I guess we're family. Where were the disciples 
after he was crucified, though he had said, I will, I will rise again in three days. Where were, they, where were they on that third day? Even after he appeared to them and made himself known, and the word starts to spread, he is risen. All that gathered was around 100 people to pray, to take Jesus at his word, and to wait for the Spirit. That's it. That's all that remained. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to a few, the least likely ones, and makes himself known, perhaps to the impact of a community or a region or a city, or in this case, the world, then he has all the glory. Because no one said, wow, look at them. Everyone says, wow, look at the Lord. He has done great things. May he do great things amongst us in this coming season as we wait upon him. May we do this together. This is our history. Will it be our reality? I'll invite Catherine and Brett and David, would you come so that we can have a chance to respond as we create this space. This is already somewhat of the rhythm of what we, why we order a service like this, a gathering like this, to prepare our hearts, to sing our souls, to sing through the week that we may have had as we come together to sing praises, to declare he is worthy, he is holy, he is almighty, this is who our God is to then turn to the scriptures, to search the scriptures, to hear God's promises anew, to invite the Spirit to speak. Perhaps the Spirit is speaking to you, or you believe, you're wondering if he is, and it has almost nothing to do with anything I'm saying. Amen. If he's meeting and speaking. No agenda. God's agenda. And then we create space to respond. While these songs become our sung prayers, make them your sung prayers, the ones that you know almost has to take more work to say, I'm going to sing this again, afresh, anew. I'm going to bring my heart to it. The ones you don't know, to listen, to hear the word, sometimes to let them be prayers over you. We create these moments to respond. We have elements there reminding us of what Christ has done, the bread and the cup. Every week, we invite we remember, we're meant to be a people of remembrance. I don't know about you, but I need that consistent reminder of what Christ has done, that tangible expression. Do this in remembrance of me. That his body was broken upon the cross. His blood was shed for my life and my forgiveness. And we're invited, we're beckoned, come. So receive, the elements are there. As we sing, as we respond, you're welcome to get them, receive them individually or together with those around you as we sing and as we respond. I'm going to lead us in a version of the Lord's Prayer. This is just a prayer that I wrote out from the Lord's Prayer, from Matthew 6. Use it as a guide. Maybe in the weeks ahead, we'll begin to repeat, or I'll, I'll invite us to repeat some of these prayers together. Today, if this resonates with you at all, you're welcome to say amen. That means truly or in agreement. Maybe it's a yes, Lord. You don't have to say it aloud. You can say it with the Spirit, but you're welcome to. So let's pray this and then let's sing. Father, our Father, we are your sons and daughters 
We are here seeking you. We are declaring that you are holy, that you are good, you are just, you are merciful, you are loving, and you are perfect. Thank you that we are a few. Thank you that we are weak, that we are needy. Meet with us, we pray. Fill us. Multiply your kingdom in and through us that many would come to find new life in you, us included. We need your strength. We need your power. We will wait upon you. Bring us your peace and hope and expectation as we wait. Don't show up too soon. Make us hunger and thirst. You alone are our daily bread, the bread of life, the living water that quenches our souls. But please don't wait too long to pour out your spirit anew. We need you, God. We are languishing. Our world is languishing. May it be your timing, God. Your will be done. Would you forgive us our sins in thought, in word, in action? We have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not followed the ways of Jesus faithfully. We have too often followed at a distance. We have doubted, we have divided, we have succumbed to discouragement. We have not waited upon the Holy Spirit. We have not longed for his presence, filling, leading, empowering. So we confess, we repent. Teach us to forgive and love one another as you love and forgive us. And so unify us, give us strength to resist the temptation to give up. Deliver us, God, from evil, from fear, from discouragement. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.